Pod people. I'm DA, and welcome to Millennial Edition. Thanks for joining us. This is our first episode of 2024, and I want to start by thanking the audience for your support throughout the years. Our team has really enjoyed all the questions and comments and engagement. It has been a pleasure, and it truly means a lot to us. And with that said, I hope everyone is well and that your year is off to a great start. There is a lot going on in the world. My goodness. For starters, it is an election year in the U.S. and there is always anxiety that I have and many of you have expressed this to us as well as the twice impeached 91 felony count indicted former president who is also now found liable for rape and sexual assault on the civil level is once again running for the highest office which means the criminal who led a violent insurrection that threatened our democracy and left several people dead, including the Capitol Police, is still a threat to this nation. In addition, the Netanyahu government is committing genocide and crimes against humanity against the people of Gaza under the guise of pursuing Hamas for the horrific terror attack on the Israeli community on October 7th. For the last 120 days, the Netanyahu government has besieged the area, committing some of the most horrific atrocities that shake the conscience. Even worse, every Western nation has stood in support of this genocide, including the Biden administration. And this unwavering support has torn both our country and the international community apart. The death toll in Gaza stands at 27,000, with thousands declared missing under the rubble and more than 66,000 reported to be wounded. So needless to say, the world is a mess. So as I'm sure I made all of our listeners' blood pressure rise, what a perfect time to segue into the episode that we will be discussing today. As you all know, we are in Black History Month and Love Month. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you out there. And like each year, since we have the awesome privilege of celebrating both Blackness and love in the same month, we will be highlighting the love and perseverance of an amazing couple whose love remains steadfast even through difficult circumstances. That couple this year is Dredd and Harriet Scott. As always, remember to subscribe to our podcast, tell a friend, and follow us on Twitter to be a part of the discussion. You can also email us your comments and questions to millennialedition1 at gmail.com. Okay, so let's dive right in. Many of you will recognize the name Dred Scott, even if you cannot identify the circumstances surrounding the name. Dred Scott is the name of the enslaved man involved in the 1857 landmark Supreme Court case, Dred Scott v. Sanford, in where the Supreme Court held that the Constitution does not extend citizenship to the enslaved and thus they could not enjoy equal rights and privileges under the law. More on this later. But the reason why we are highlighting Dred Scott is because as the various authors of the book Differences, a journal of feminist culture studies, black marriage, claim the reason for Dred Scott bringing this landmark case was because of his underlying love and marriage to his wife, Harriet Robertson. It was love that was the underlying basis for the fight for his freedom and the freedom of his family. 
So let's get a little background on this amazing couple. Dred Scott was born to enslaved parents around 1799 in Southampton, Virginia. He was enslaved to Peter Blow, and we don't know much about him. However, Wikipedia reports that he ran an unsuccessful plantation in Huntsville, Alabama. When Dred Scott was about 19 years old in 1818, that is when the Blow family enslaved him. Sometime around the 1830s, the Blow family moved with Dred Scott to St. Louis, Missouri. According to the Missouri State Archives, Peter Blow ran a boarding house in St. Louis named the Jefferson Hotel. His wife Elizabeth died within a year of the establishment of the hotel, and ultimately Peter Blow himself died shortly after her in 1832. They had four sons and three daughters. Now, there are different accounts as to when Dred Scott was ultimately sold to the enslaver Dr. John Emerson. Some say that it was before Peter Blow's death, and some say it was after his death. But at some point, Dred Scott was enslaved by Dr. Emerson. Dr. Emerson was a U.S. Army surgeon whose work brought him to various military posts, including to the free states of Illinois and Wisconsin, where Dred Scott would accompany him, and this would be significant. More on that later. But it was in 1836 that Dred Scott arrived in Fort Snelling, Minnesota, where he met, fell in love, and married his destiny, Harriet Robertson. Now, Harriet Robertson, she was born into slavery around 1815 in Virginia, according to the archives at the National Park Service. In 1830, Lawrence Taliaferro, a U.S. Army officer who served as a mediator between the American Fur Company traders and the Ojibwe and Dakota Native Americans, purchased Harriet Robertson in Fort Snelling, which at the time was a territory where slavery was illegal. But because enslavers are absolute trash, they did it anyways. But it was in Fort Snelling where she met and married Dred Scott. Now, it was illegal at this time for the enslaved to get married. However, it was Harriet's enslaver Lawrence Taliaferro that not only allowed for them to get married, but performed the ceremony. He even went a step further and transferred Harriet's ownership to Dred Scott's enslaver, Dr. Emerson, so that they could be together. Now, I'm not about to praise an enslaver, especially one that was participating in enslaving a human being in defiance of the laws at that time, which declared it was illegal in that territory. I believe Lawrence Taliaferro's actions were not one of generosity, but simply an act of destiny, that maybe something higher than Taliaferro was acting on the Scots' behalf, ensuring that they were together. And Dredd and Harriet Scott were very much in love. According to Matthew Pinsker, who is a professor at Dickinson University where he teaches U.S. political, legal, and diplomatic history focusing specifically on the Civil War era, American constitutionalism, and the Underground Railroad, he states in his lecture entitled Dred and Harriet Scott, A Family Story of Slavery and Freedom, he says in quotes, what people don't realize and what they need to think about as they look at a picture of Dred Scott is that he was a man with a family. It was Harriet Scott who was pushing Dred Scott for the two of them to file for freedom, end quote. Well, you know how the saying goes, behind every great man is a great woman, and Harriet Scott embodies this. 
And like for most enslaved who have the difficulty of navigating love and family while simultaneously trying to survive slavery, the toll that slavery had on this couple was brutal. Shortly after the Scots were married, Dr. Emerson would lease the Scots out as hired slaves to others. Harriet's typical duties were laundry, cleaning houses, and caring for the slave master's children, so typical domestic work. But because Dr. Emerson would travel often to various military posts, the Scots would have to travel with him. According to the women and the American story, Dr. Emerson leased out Harriet when she was pregnant, and thus, she was forced to make a dangerous 1,000-mile journey on a steamboat on the Mississippi River. And as you can imagine, that dangerous journey caused her to go into labor where she gave birth to her first daughter, Eliza. Eliza, however, was born in a free territory. The Scots had another daughter named Lizzie a few years later. Professor Pinsker contends that the decision for the Scots to sue for their freedom was built on family and love. He believes that Harriet's urgency to sue for freedom was motivated by the fear that her two daughters would be separated from them and sold in the slave trade. Professor Pinsker also believes that it was actually Harriet who convinced Dredd to go through the legal system as opposed to trying to escape, as trying to escape slavery would be much more dangerous for their family. You see, Harriet was a deeply religious woman, an avid churchgoer. Her pastor, John P. Anderson, was a well-known abolitionist. And I will just pause here to say, if your religion does not lead you to freedom and the freedom from oppression for others, then you are in the wrong religion and you should quit it now. But I digress. So Harriet's freedom-fighting abolitionist pastor, John P. Anderson, was the one who introduced the Scots to their first attorney, Francis B. Murdoch. Let's learn a little bit about Francis B. Murdoch. According to Wikitree.com, Francis Butler Murdoch was born around March 1805 in Cumberland, Maryland. He was about 19 years old when he moved to Bedford, Pennsylvania, where he studied law under the office of Judge Alexander Thompson and was later admitted to the bar in Pennsylvania. He married his first wife, Eliza, in 1828, and they moved to Michigan around 1830, where he co-founded Berrien County. In 1835, his wife, Eliza, died of tuberculosis, so Butler moved to Madison County, Illinois. According to Kittle.com, it was in Madison County where Butler's true abolitionist work took shape. Butler took up the case of the murder of Elijah Parrish Lovejoy, and this would be the case that put Butler on the map. A little on Mr. Lovejoy, and I note that his name has love within it, which makes me smile. According to Kittle.com, Mr. Lovejoy was an American Presbyterian minister. He was a journalist and also an abolitionist who was a strong defender of free speech and freedom of the press. About around 1827, he began living in St. Louis, Missouri, where slavery was legal. He founded the St. Louis Observer, where he would use the newspaper to openly criticize the practice of slavery, as well as the wealthy politicians who were protecting the system. Because of his outspoken advocacy for the abolishment of slavery, he was constantly receiving threats against his life. So Mr. Lovejoy decided to move to what he believed was the free state of Alton, Illinois. 
Around 1837, he founded the Alton Observer newspaper where he continued to advocate for the abolishment of slavery. He also held an Illinois anti-slavery congress for like-minded abolitionists. However, the threats against Mr. Lovejoy's life increased, so much so that he would hide his printing press in a warehouse owned by a man of the name of Winthrop Sergeant Gilman. On the evening of November the 6th, 1837, a racist pro-slavery mob from Missouri made a 26-mile journey down to the warehouse in Alton, Illinois, and set the entire structure on fire. They also opened fire on Mr. Lovejoy, shooting him five times where he was instantly killed. It would be Francis B. Murdoch who took up his murder case in an attempt to bring justice to Mr. Lovejoy. And because America was totally trash at that time, because they were perfectly okay with slavery and the murder of anyone who spoke out against it, a jury decided not to convict any of Mr. Lovejoy's murderers. It is reported that Francis B. Murdoch was so devastated by this injustice that he closed his entire practice in Illinois. But according to the Missouri archives, destiny was not done with Mr. Murdoch. Around 1841, Francis B. Murdoch moved back to St. Louis where he met up with Harriet Scott's pastor, John P. Anderson. You see, John P. Anderson happened to be Mr. Lovejoy's typesetter and was in Alton, Illinois the night the mob set fire to the warehouse and murdered Mr. Lovejoy. Mr. Anderson left Alton, Illinois shortly after that fateful night, but he vowed that he would dedicate the rest of his life in St. Louis, helping the enslaved pursue freedom. And he very much kept that promise when he introduced the Scots to the now infamous Francis B. Murdoch. On April the 6th, 1846, Francis B. Murdoch filed the initial papers in the circuit court for St. Louis County and posted the required security for separate lawsuits for both Dredd and Harriet's freedom. This action would make the Scots the first and only married enslaved couple to sue for freedom in the United States. So let's pause right here and go back to something I mentioned earlier. I mentioned that the Scots would travel with the enslaver, Dr. Emerson, to various military posts, including those that were in free states. This detail is what forms the basis of the Scots lawsuit. You see, at the time, in states like Missouri where slavery was outlawed, they had mottos like, in quotes, once free, always free, end quote. This means that under the law, if the enslaved is taken to a free state, they were to be considered free even if they were taken back to a state where slavery was permissible. The Missouri State's Archives explains, in quotes, once the bonds of slavery were broken, they did not reattach, end quote. As the Scots were taken to free states and even had a daughter born in a free state, the bonds of slavery were legally broken and thus the Scots were free. So Francis B. Murdoch took up the case because he believed that the Scots had a valid claim. But because America was America, right after Mr. Murdoch filed the initial papers on the Scots' behalf, the city of St. Louis foreclosed on Mr. Murdoch's home and the sheriff at that time sold it. Mr. Murdoch was also being harassed by creditors, so he took his new wife and children and lived the rest of his days out in California so he was unfortunately unable to represent the Scots at their trial. 
It is reported that around June 1847, Samuel Mansfield Bay became the new attorney of record for the Scots, and he would be the attorney that represented the Scots when the case went to trial and all the way up to the Supreme Court. What we know of Samuel Mansfield Bay is that he was born sometime around June 1810 in Hudson, New York. And he gained notoriety by successfully trying the case of Didymus Buell Burr, who essentially murdered his wife by putting pounded glass in her medicine. Yikes! The case is entitled Dred Scott versus John F. A. Sanford because it was sometime around 1838 that Dr. John Emerson, Dred Scott's enslaver, sold Dred Scott to John Sanford, the brother of his wife Irene. Dr. Emerson ended up dying in 1843 from complications from syphilis. And since the Scotts could not prove that they were property of Dr. Emerson's surviving wife Irene because there were no papers indicating it, they named Irene's brother, John Sanford, in a suit. And let me tell you about this woman, Irene. This hateful pro-slavery trash bag of a woman was fully involved in the Dred Scott case with a vengeance. In the lower court, on January the 12th, 1850, a jury awarded the Scots their freedom. And this hateful bitch and her attorneys asked for a new trial and then appealed the trial. This caused the Missouri Supreme Court in March of 1852 to overturn the decision of the lower courts and declare the Scots enslaved. Do you remember how I mentioned that Dred Scott was once enslaved by Peter Blow back in the early 1800s? Well, he died in 1832 like I mentioned earlier, and his children supported the Scots' case for freedom both financially and legally. It is said that they were believed to have had a change of heart about slavery. But as the case goes, even with everyone's efforts, the case made its way all the way up to the Supreme Court where we get one of the most horrific opinions enshrined in history. On March 6, 1857, the Supreme Court ruled that anyone of African descent, whether they were a slave or even if they were free, were not to be considered a citizen of the United States. This means that to the Supreme Court, the Scotses were not citizens of the United States and thus had no standing in the courts to sue for their freedom. Just take that verdict in for a second. What a devastating ruling that had to be for the Scotses who fought in the courts for 11 years to be seen as full human beings free from the cruel and horrific shackles of slavery. The case left a dark stain in American history. It would only be a few years after this Supreme Court decision that the American Civil War began in April 12, 1861, as tensions between those who were in support of slavery and those who were abolitionists exploded. But here's where the story gets interesting. Remember Miss Hateful Irene, wife of the late Dr. Emerson? Well, because karma is a delightful, creative little minx, Around November 1850, years before the Supreme Court reached their verdict, Irene Emerson fell in love and married Dr. Calvin C. Shafee. She moved with him to Springfield, Massachusetts shortly after their marriage where he was elected to the U.S. Congress. But what Miss Irene did not realize was that Dr. Shafee was an abolitionist. And as detailed in the Missouri State Archives, he didn't know that his wife Irene was involved with the Dred Scott case. Once the Scots sued for their freedom, 
they became the most famous enslaved couple in America. So when other abolitionists found out that Irene was involved with the Dred Scott case, Dr. Shafee began getting called out for his hypocrisy of advocating for the abolishment of slavery while owning the most famous slave in America. With the amount of blowback Dr. Shafee was receiving right after the Supreme Court's decision, sometime around May of 1857, Dr. Shafee transferred all of his family's rights over the Scots back to the Blow family in St. Louis so that the Blow family could officially file for their freedom. On May 26, 1857, Dredd and Harriet Scott were declared to be free before the St. Louis Circuit Court. And because life is just cruel, Dred Scott ended up dying on September the 17th, 1858 from tuberculosis at the age of 59. He got to enjoy only nine months of freedom. Ugh, I know. That is really, really sad. However, his beloved wife Harriet got to enjoy 18 years of freedom, dying on June the 17th, 1876. And while this infamous couple enjoyed only a short time of freedom on this earth, because even 18 years is too short to enjoy full freedom, their love is one for the ages, making this extraordinary couple immortal. So listeners, I must ask you, what would you do for those you love? Thanks for joining this episode of Millennial Edition. Happy Black History Month. Spread love to all this Valentine season and fight against the injustices of this world. Remember the quote by Dr. Martin Luther King, no one is free until we are all free. And I look forward to engaging with you all soon.